what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. This is Chris that I'm pointing to across the table. But <laughs> Hello, podcast listener land. Yes. For those of you in audio land, though, not able to see us, we are at a nice rectangular table facing one another, microphones directly in front of us. <laughs> ready to go and talk about movies during today's episode. Uh, Foot Candle Films, this show is where we review some recent films. We also cover a little bit of movie news here and there and normally end up our show with a online recommendation, something we think you ought to try to check out if you're in the mood to find a film that maybe you're not aware of or hadn't heard of or maybe had just forgotten about. So that's what we're here for on the show. Uh, we do have quite a few reviews to go through today, actually, Chris. I think we may be setting... I know we've reviewed three films before, but... I don't know if we've reviewed three films that are probably all quite so discussion worthy as all three of the ones we'll be reviewing today. Is Agreed. that fair to say? This may be so, a landmark. Yeah. So first off, we'll be talking about the latest Coen brother film, uh, Hail Caesar, starring George Clooney and a whole slew of other people. Then we're going to talk about the latest Charlie Kaufman film, Anomalisa, followed by a film called The Lobster, which probably very few of you have heard about, but we're going to tell you all about that film Later on, starring Colin, Colin Farrell and a few others as well. Uh, after a break, we'll do a little bit of recap of the Oscar ceremony that just happened last week. Uh, talk about some of our surprises, some of the things that we were right or wrong on with our predictions. And then we will finish up the show with our online recommendation for the episode of a, show, of a movie we think you ought to check out. Chris, we got a full slate of things. How about we just jump right into it? Does that sound good to you? Sounds good. Good. Let's jump right into our first review it is the latest from Joel and Ethan Cohn. It's called Hail Caesar. Uh, Mr. Mannix. What's up? The director can't find Baird Whitlock. Somebody slipped it under my door. We have your movie star. Gather $100,000 and await instructions. Who are we? The future. Hello, Bert. Hello, Mr. Mannix. Lawrence, Obi, thank you all for coming. The studio needs your help. Bad Whitlock has been kidnapped. This is bad. Bad for movie stars everywhere. She sings the perfect harmony. Chris, in looking at Hail Caesar, uh, we have another film from the Coen brothers. I know for a fact, and this is just kind of putting the disclaimer out there, you and I are big fans of the Coen brothers in general. Absolutely. As I'm sitting here in our mesh recording studio, I am looking out into a window that actually goes into your office. And I know you have a movie poster up for The Big Lebowski, yes. one of your favorite films of theirs, Absolutely. also one of my favorites. You and I saw Fargo together at a very unique screening situation many, many years ago, I think in Philadelphia, yes. when it came out. You and I both had a gravitation, fascination with Coen Brothers films in general. If we look at the last four films that the Coen Brothers have made... And remind me what those are. I'm getting ready to do that. Excellent. The last film they had, they came out with was Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. Before that was True Grit. Before that, A Serious Man. And before that, Burn After Reading. Okay. The reason I go all the way back to Burn After Reading is because really thematically and style-wise, Hell Caesar probably has a lot more in common with Burn After Reading than the other three films they've done in between. Mm -hmm. They seem to go in a cycle where it's like serious film, serious film, 
you know, not to say that every film they do is serious. There's still comedic parts to it, but it's a little heavier subject matter. But then they always seem to sprinkle in that just really kind of a little more bizarre comedy every few films. Burn After Reading was, in my mind, the last one they did like this style. I don't recall how you felt about Burn After Reading. So, but I'm asking you to kind of lead in this conversation. Tell me how this film rates going all the way back to Burn After Reading, comparing to that film, and maybe even how it rates in the last three films since then as well. Where do you put this in the Coen Brothers list of just recent films? I don't need you to go back to The Big Lebowski or Fargo, because those are some pretty hard benchmarks to shoot for. How are they doing just in terms of the last four movies they've come out with? Well, um, Burn After Reading, actually the marketing campaign for Burn After Reading and the marketing campaign for Hail Caesar do remind me a lot of one another. You know, yeah. Burn After Reading just looked like it was a, you know, just going to be nonstop laughter from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, well put together trailer. The movie, I hated. You hated um, Burn After I hated Reading. Burn okay. After Reading. I've only seen it once. Um, maybe if I went into it again now, I'd be a little kinder to it, but I mm-hmm. really didn't like it at all. It didn't work for me either. Uh, so I, I was curious about your take on that. Um, I did like Serious Man. Yeah. I was big on that. Um, True Grip, eh, it was okay. And Lewin Davis, I I don't know what I expected, but I didn't like it as much as I, I wanted to. Right. I admired certain parts of it. Oscar Isaac is really good. Um, but I don't know, something, I think it was, it could have been, it was like January, February when I saw it, kind of dark and gray outside, and then to have kind of a really dark and gray film. It just it was a darker film than I expected it to be was, in a lot of places. Yeah, and yeah. it was just kind of a bummer, so I just wasn't expecting mm-hmm. it. Hail Caesar, it is, you know, the marketing campaign for it, the trailer was excellent, but it built it up to be a comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're talking about this film. It's been out for a couple of weeks. I think it is the worst trailer that could have been made for this movie in mm-hmm. a way. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how you would have made a different one, but right. selling it as a comedy is not true. And I talked to people before I had gone to go see the film and they're like, Oh, you know, it was okay, but it just, just wasn't funny. And it didn't really have much of a story to it. And they were just really let down because the bill of goods they had been sold in the trailer didn't hold up. And I think, you know, I I liked this film. I I liked it a a pretty good deal. It's one of the better Coen brothers movies. I think I've seen in recent years. Okay. And it probably helps that I didn't walk in the door expecting a comedy. I right. kind of knew, even though I'd seen that trailer and I was of the same opinion, but fortunately I'd talked to other people who had already seen it and they were like, yeah, it just wasn't that funny. I think, you know, almost every trailer for the Coen brothers, I mean, if you know, Joel, Ethan, if you're listening, I think from here on out, when you have a movie like this and big, those big block letters, white letters on black screen, it should always say like right before you flash like the actor's names and the rating at the end, mm-hmm. it should say, this is not a comedy <laughs> way to beat. Take those word off. This is a Coen brothers film. And like that kind of says volumes because almost anything, even Lewin Davis was dark, mm-hmm. kind of a downer, but does have elements of kind of quirky comedy. That's sure. just, it's kind yeah. of their signature style. And if you go in expecting some of those, but you don't expect just to be, you know, mm-hmm. laugh out that funny you're going to probably be, you know, pleased. This movie, I really thought it had a lot to offer more of kind of like, I mean, obviously it's not a documentary, but kind of a historical perspective on Hollywood. It it was interesting with that regard. I'll I'll give you that. And And I think um, brief rundown, just for people who are like hail Caesar has George Clooney. What's it about? Sure. It's basically Josh Brolin is a Hollywood fixer in the 1950s, and he goes around trying to keep movie stars in line, trying to get directors, producers in line to make 
the budget pictures that the studios want them to make, regardless right. of if they may think it's a piece of junk or whatever. He kind of keeps everybody in line. Yep. And um, supposedly it's loosely based on somebody like this who actually did exist in mm-hmm. the 1950s and kind of went around and did this kind of yeah. thing. And well, he's Josh role. Brolin, yeah, played Eddie Mannix, the the fixer, and uh, yeah, George Clooney starring as one of the studio's biggest stars, Baird Whitlock, who is working on a production of Hell Caesar, the name of the film. So it's a movie inside of a movie type of thing. And you got a whole slew of other people playing different actors and directors and everything else. So very interesting uh, cast with that. So you liked it? I did like it. Okay, um, and I actually, you know, they again mentioned times before on the show. A good mark of a movie to me is that. If I walk out and I want to see it again, if I yeah. want to see any part of it again, or if I'm basically like, oh, it was okay, but I'm kind of done. Don't This one I walked out and I immediately, maybe I don't want to see the entire film, but definitely sections of the film mm-hmm. I want to see again. Well, um, so let me kind of, let me kind of stem off of that idea. Okay. I liked the film too. Right. I did have a really good time with it. I actually did find it very, very funny. I mean, I did not go in with the perception of it being a slapstick comedy. I know the Coen Brothers films well enough to know that, yeah, that trailer we're looking at, that's not the kind of film this is. This is sure. a bust-out-loud slapstick, just-laugh-a-minute funny movie. But this movie was hilarious. I mean, there were some scenes I'm still laughing about, <laughs> thinking about. Okay. Um, I really, if I look at this film as more of a really great montage of interesting characters coming together to paint this picture of Hollywood back in the 1950s, it works awesome. Gotcha. The only disappointment, the main disappointment for me with this film was that I did like so many of these characters and situations so much, but they are all given such a short window of time to actually breathe in. Sure. That it's almost like by the time I've really starting to get connected to a character, I don't see them again. I can understand that. That's my only disappointment. It's kind of a backhanded disappointment because, I mean, you're basically saying you like the character so much that I wanted to be around them and see more scenes with them. And in a 90 minute or whatever it is, almost two hour movie, I, I got 10 minutes with them. You know, that was my big disappointment is like, Oh, you almost like you just did a montage of some of these really great characters and situations. And you left me so wanting more and desiring more depth in all the characters than I got. So again, it's a criticism, but it's not really one that a film should have to fix. If anything, it just means that if they ever came out and said that we're going to make a sequel to Hell Caesar that's all about Hobie Doyle, <laughs> I'm totally on board. Like, sign me up. I want to go see this movie. Sure. So that's that's my thing is I really did like the movie. I kind of walked away saying, oh, you know, that was it. I mean, it's like I wanted more. I wanted these characters more. I wanted to see these situations more. Um, but I did find it very, very funny. I found it really fun to watch. And I, I'm a big sucker for classic Hollywood behind mm-hmm. the scenes films anyway. So of course sure. I spoke right away to that, that side of it for me as well. So I did enjoy it. I, I liked it better than inside Lewin Davis. I liked it better than true grit. Didn't like it as much as a serious man. That's still one that just really connected with me really well. I definitely liked it better than burn after reading. That was also one I did not <laughs> sure. care for. So yeah, it's in the top, top upper half of Coen brother films for me. as far as if I were to rate them top to bottom for sure. So yeah, I'm along the same lines with you that I, Really responded to it. And I, I I did find a lot of aspects of it funny. The, another part of it that I really liked, and kind of like, you know, tribute to old Hollywood, but the times, and I, I, I'm around on board with you, same page, but as far as the criticism, they were had so many storylines going on, 
all of them were interesting and you just kind of felt cheated at yeah. the end. It, like, yeah, oh, that's man, the way I felt. I know, felt cheated at the end. It's not that yeah. it was a bad movie. You're just like, ah, oh, I just really would have liked more. Mm-hmm. But um, the time that they, and it, kind of a throwaway part, Channing Tatum, mm-hmm. he's in this film. Yep. He does has a dance scene as a, a Navy officer. A really well choreographed, made song and dance just, scene. I, I really like that was worth the price of admission. Yeah, I agree. That, that scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you have, and you know, but otherwise very throwaway, not a lot of time mm-hmm. spent with them. Scarlett Johansson, good, mm-hmm. great actress. She is a star and does this like swimming. Like you've seen those old time movies where they have the overhead shot of all these people swimming. The in choreographed swimming, swimming, synchronized swimming pool, type yeah. stuff. Yeah. You've seen like clips of that from, but they totally recreate that atmosphere. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. That was just really fun to watch them pull that off, which granted, I guess it's even easier nowadays because of all technology and camera yeah. equipment we have, but still to bother pulling mm-hmm. off an exact replica of one of those scenes. Totally enjoyable. Yep. Um, and then, as you've mentioned, the one, the one character who I got to spend, I guess, the majority of the time with, and I really liked him when the sequel, Hobie Doyle. <laughs> um, he's a cowboy yeah. character who's being who normally plays cowboys and he's being pushed into try to becoming more of like a Clark Gable type yeah. character. And it just doesn't really <laughs> suit him. <laughs> and it's played by, um, Alden Ehrenreich. Ehrenreich. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I knew nothing about this actor. Never no. seen him before, but I tell you, it was my favorite character in the whole film. Absolutely. He was just so much fun to watch and follow. So, yeah, yeah. he was, you know, some of the comedy comes from him just being very honest and just kind of like, Oh, whatever. And kind of his, you know, bright lights, big city attitude towards Hollywood and just kind of being yeah. kind of humbled. That, that was where a lot of the comedy came from me. And sure. I really enjoyed it. Although two of the characters, I'll say Josh Brolin, the Eddie Mannix, and actually for me, George Clooney, mm-hmm. like both of those actors a lot. George Clooney, I felt like really got the short end of the stick. Like I felt like there could have been a lot more there. His storyline was the most unsatisfying for me because it was so interesting once you realized who he gets kidnapped. And this yes. is early in the film. Yes. yes, he gets kidnapped. This is kind of what sets the whole story in motion is. He is the the lead actor in this big Hollywood production, and now he's missing. So they're trying to figure out, do they shut down production? Do they get a replacement? And what do they do? And the group of people that kidnap him is a very interesting storyline that follows him from there. That was the one where when it kind of started to wrap up a little bit, I'm like, oh, there was just so much they could have done with that. And I I agree with you. It's a little bit. That's where I probably felt the most cheated was in that storyline of all the other ones. And along those same lines, Josh Brolin, you know, playing the character that's kind of the fixer, trying to keep everybody in line. He's kind of have a, he's kind of having a crisis the entire movie. Mm-hmm. He's deciding that maybe this is all a bunch of trouble. He doesn't really want this. And he's being offered a higher paying job somewhere yeah, else right. and trying to lure him away the whole movie. And I thought like, and then his, the decision he makes at the end of the movie, like interesting. And I don't know. I felt like there was more movie gold to be yeah. mined and wouldn't quite hit on it. So, well, that's, that's my whole criticism of the film. I mean, again, I hate saying the word criticism because it's basically saying I wanted more of the good things that were in the film, mm-hmm. but I did feel like at the end of the film, it was a, it was a montage of really great scenes and really, really great characters that I wanted it to end up with more. I, I wanted to t- bring it more full, full force to me. And I did feel like at the end of the film, it's like, oh, okay, well, that means I'm not going to see this character or this character anymore. I had him on screen for five minutes or three minutes or whatever. 
Um, even going down to like Jonah Hill's character, Joseph Silverman, which is just <laughs> a fascinating character is written. Yeah. Basically, he's the guy that will just do whatever the studio has him to do. He's like the fall guy. Yeah. yeah. If he has to adopt a child just to that some actor or actress has out of wedlock just to protect them. That's what he does. You know, mm-hmm. if he has to take the fall in prison for somebody, he does it. And I mean, to me, that's just, that's funny. That's so funny. But he's yeah. in one scene. It's like, ah, oh, you know, just, I want more. Please give me more of this. And uh, that's my only, only, only real criticism of it. It was just, it was a great collection of ideas and characters that I wish just amounted to more in the end for me. Well, and then, you know, that said, as well as at the end of the movie, kind of, Go out going the movie. I felt like kind of went out with a whimper instead of with a bang. Yeah, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't really kind of in a way building to anything. No. It was interesting, okay movie, but it just didn't really have a punch at the final end to kind of tie stuff together. I think so. if you go into this film not expecting it to be a rip roaring comedy, and not expecting it to be a solid story, but you go in wanting more to experience some really fun characters, interesting situations. And you love that nostalgia feel of the behind the scenes Hollywood 1950s. It's great. It's just, you know, if you go in expecting more on any of those fronts, you're not going to get it. Right. Um, that's kind of the way I felt about Burn After Reading. But the thing is, Burn After Reading, I just didn't like the characters as much. And there's just so many other things that didn't work. But it's the same idea. It's just a whole bunch of random little small subplots loosely tied together. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's like it didn't really go anywhere. This same issue, same problem it's just the characters, the environment, the scenes were so much better that I still enjoy the film quite a bit. So that's Hell Caesar. Uh, it may still be running in movie theaters as you're hearing this review, but it is, if you're a Coen Brothers film, it's definitely one to check out. It's a, it's a worthy installment into their filmography. Otherwise, just be prepared and be kind of understanding that it's not your traditional comedy. No. It's not going to have the most complete storyline. It's a Coen Brothers It's a, a Coen Brothers film. <laughs> Make sure you know that going into it. Okay, so let's move on to our second film. And this is a film from the filmmaker and writer Charlie Kaufman. It is called Anomalisa. What is it to be human? What is it to ache? What is it to be alive? Each person you speak to has had a day. Some of the days have been good, some bad. Each person you speak to has had a childhood. Each has a body. Each body has aches. With Charlie Kaufman's latest film, Anomalisa, he got a nomination in the animation category against for an Oscar against other films like Inside Out. Well, no surprise, Inside Out won. Yeah. But this is a very adult animated movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is describes a man that's crippled by the mundanity of his life experiences. And then he then suddenly experiences something very out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. That's a very concise IMDb uh, (laughs) description of the movie. Yes. But um, Alan, the big thing about this film, Charlie Kaufman, this first time he's made a film like this, where it's stop animation, stop motion animation. Right. Um, For a film that's just about a man with experiencing depression i think it's fair to say mm-hmm. why do you think this film was made with stop motion puppets as opposed to just using people and do you think it was an effective use to do so what are your what are your thoughts on right that? um 
I think this, the choice of using stop motion animation for this, uh, it worked for me. And it's actually okay. something I want to talk about a little bit more with the film too. But as far as our rationale for why you would do it stop motion instead so of just having the actors, instead of just the actors doing it, there's one key uh, choice they make in the film. And it's really, it, it really has a lot of impact on the main character that I think would have been really tough to pull off with live actors. And that's the fact that we have three voices in the whole film. Right. Just three. And even if you look at the IMDb page of the cast, it's three people. Mm -hmm. Michael, Lisa, and everyone else. (laughs) And the fact is... (laughs) That says a lot. That does say a lot. It's something that it took me the first 10 minutes of the movie to realize what was going on. But once I realized it, it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Everybody in the film I'm hearing is the same voice. And there's a reason for that. There, that ties into the story. That ties into a little bit of Michael's mentality at the time. I think for that reason alone, if that was the the main conceit that David, the way Michael is viewing this his life around him, and because of that, everybody he encounters is the same voice. There's a real, true, practical reason for that. I think it would have been really, really tough to pull that off technically, visually, for it to have the same impact if it was um, live action people. Plus, there's the fact that all these people look the same, too. Mm-hmm. Again, it, that took me a little while to register because at first I just thought, well, they're just making all their stop motion puppets kind of look the same. But no, it's very intentional. The actual core faces of everybody else, it's exactly the same. So again, to me, that was the reason why I think the stop motion needed to be there. Because right. they had that flexibility. They could be more creative with how everybody looked around them. But yet, the fact that they decided to keep this... For the most part, barring a few key scenes, very grounded in reality. You know, we're in a hotel room. There's nothing really fantastical about the hotel room. It is a straightforward. I mean, I I told you after I saw the film, I was in a hotel room the very next night. And it was a weird feeling because it's like, you know, I've been here just last night. I felt like I was here. The hallways, the scenes, everything's very real. Mm -hmm. But because of the stop motion, they can pull off the whole Everybody the same face, everybody the same voice. And there's two or three scenes that really border on more of the fantastical that I think were obviously a lot easier to pull off with stop motion than you could have in real life. So anyway, that's my answer to that. And I will just say I absolutely love this film. So I want to hear your <laughs> thoughts on it, though. So I'm, I'm totally blown over by this film. Yeah, it, this is one of those films, you know, that – Definitely one of the best films of 2015 when it was mm-hmm. uh, released. And I, I really responded strongly to the film, too. It, I, I wondered if it was going to be too much of a gimmick to have it be stop motion. But for all the reasons you said, it, I think it worked better as stop motion. And I think in a way, yeah, because if you would have had the voices and you would have had it just it just would have and it, you would have caught on to it immediately. Right. Whereas, like you're saying, kind of the subtlety of what's going on and the condition that Michael Stone, the main character, is having and what's going on in his head, you slowly have to kind of figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it's never explicitly said, this is what's going on. This is why he is this way. And I think if it had been with real actors, you know, not stop motion, I think it would have... I just don't think it would have been very jarring from the very first scene. Right. You know, the very first scene, they're on an airplane and you hear the person next to next to Michael talking to him and you don't think anything about it. Then you get to a cab scene and I still still didn't catch on what was going on even (laughs) by the cab scene. It wasn't until he got into the hotel room and started making some phone calls. And by the time he's calling his wife and son, 
right. and the person on the other end. I'm <laughs> the like, son sounds exactly. This like is the exactly mom like the exactly. bellhop and exactly like everything else. That's right. when it realized what was going on. See, if it had been live action and you saw somebody's face with a voice coming sure. out that you know was not the voice, uh, it would have been jarring right away. And I think that that wasn't the intent. I also think there's a little bit. I just kind of get the sense that maybe Charlie Kaufman kind of saw this as, you know, what this is a film that of all the films he's done, this one is for the most part pretty straightforward from a realism standpoint. Sure. You know, you've got Eternal uh, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You've got an adaptation. You've got being John Malkovich. You got all these other movies. You got um, uh, Synecdoche, New York, Mm -hmm. which are very fantastical elements all through the film. Right. It's almost like he kind of challenged himself to say, all right, I wrote a film that outside of a few key moments is pretty straightforward realism based. Sure. How about I make this film out of stop motion animation? Almost like let's take the most realistic story I can give with real emotions and real situations that people go through and let's make it with animation just because that seems like a very interesting, challenging thing to do, you know, could be. Yeah. And it, and it worked. And I'll say to them, as far as emotional impact, he, you mentioned how basically he sees everybody somewhat the same, but their voices are all the same. Right. And then he comes into interaction with a lady whose name is Lisa Mm -hmm. and it's voiced by Jennifer Jason Lee. And because I said it, the voice of her character is different. And he kind of was like, Oh my goodness, this person is unique. This person stands out. You know, this can be my outlet to the world because everybody else is just kind of, you know, I'm in this funk or whatever he's in their storyline. Her, I've, what I was kind of surprised about was I liked her character. I was so um, heartbroken, I guess, mm-hmm. by some of the events that happened yeah. in the film. But her, the way her, the last shots you see of her and how she responds mm-hmm. to things from a, for a Charlie Kaufman film, especially, but was so like uplifting. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And I was not expecting that because kind of, you know, this film kind of is, it's a comedy, but it, you know, not like regular comedy, kind of like Hail Caesar, but it's kind of dark in some places. And I just thought it was going to really end just be mega, mega ton depressing. Yeah. No, (laughs) it actually had some interesting messages to it. I mean, you can't say that the Michael character necessarily ends at the same point that the Lisa character does, but the Lisa character is the one we're probably the most worried about later in the film. Absolutely. And it's the one that luckily by the last scene, we feel better about her character. Sure. Um, And you know, the thing is, I mean, there were some moments I thought there was some absolutely laugh out loud, hysterical moments in the film. And that really speaks a lot to the writing of it. I mean, to Mm -hmm. take what could be this grounded, very more dour, serious moment, uh, a film overall, but yet there were five or six scenes that I can distinctly remember, like really like, laughing out loud on sure that were just great and um it really worked well and then the the one or two scenes of when it got to be a little fantastical a little bit dreamy a little bit just you know more going on in his mind as opposed to in reality they were just jarring enough that they worked in other words you knew something was going on you knew that maybe we're exploring in his mind or how he's seeing things but it wasn't over the top and just beat you over the head with these messages i mean it was just really tastefully well done the whole way through the film. So, yeah, I, I just I really love this movie. So I thought it was I thought it was great, really really great. Cool. Well, um, that's all I had to say. Would you like to move on to yeah. the lobster? I guess we could do that. Let's move on okay. to our third uh, film review, which is a film called The Lobster. 
As you understand from your brother's experience. If you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here, you'll turn into an animal. Would you like to dance? Mind if I join you? It's no coincidence that the targets are shaped like single people and not couples. Have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. A lobster is an excellent choice. Okay, Chris, I'm going to read the description for the lobster straight from IMDb, just because I love reading this description out loud. (laughs) In a dystopian near future, single people, according to the laws of the city, are taken to the hotel where they are obliged to find a romantic partner in 45 days or are transformed into beast and sent off into the woods. Now, if you had just jumped into our show and heard us talk about Anomalisa and heard us talk about The Lobster, you'd probably be thinking, oh, The Lobster must be the stop-motion animated film because this sounds so ridiculous to actually make a live-action film out of. Nope, other way around. Anomalisa stop-motion, The Lobster acted by real people, uh, such as Colin Farrell starring as David. We also have Rachel Weiss. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a whole slew of other people. John C. John Riley. C. Riley, probably the only other really big name that people would recognize from the film. Chris, this is from director Yorgos Lanthimos, who I know you've seen Dogtooth, another one of his films. I yes. have not. So this was my first experience with one of his films. Okay. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> okay. I had a freaking riot with this film. Awesome. I really enjoyed this film, and okay. I did not think I would. Uh, really? Um, no. Huh. Huh. I have some issues with it, but I'll get to those in a little bit. Okay. But let me just kind of start out because I'm really anxious to hear your thoughts on this film. I really, really like this film. To me, it's got to start with an interesting premise, and this film has the most fascinating premise yeah. you can imagine. It's all right there in the description. Right there it is. Yeah. I mean, we start out learning that David is basically getting out of a relationship, not by his choice. And because he's now single, he has to go to the hotel. And the hotel for me... It was one of the most fascinating scenic locations mm-hmm. in that it is this slightly older style country club hotel. Kind of like where, the Shining Hotel. Yeah, it is. Like. It's not like your newest contemporary hotels. And it's got this out in the wilderness, out in the, out in the middle of nowhere kind of feel to it. And it's just, you know, the hallways and the, 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 the rooms and just the layout of everything. The ballrooms where they have a lot of their big get togethers. Mm-hmm. It was just awesome. And so the idea when you go to this hotel, you have to find a partner within 45 days. They give you a kind of a countdown number of days. You get a, you get a voice message on your phone every morning letting you know how many days yeah, you've got 10 left. 10 days left. Um, yeah. And you have to com- prove to somebody, the, the people running the hotel, that you have found a, a mate. And you are in love and you're ready to move on with your life. And then they will let you kind of have a little bit of a trial period. And then you can go out into the world. And uh, if you don't in 45 days, you get transformed into an animal of your choosing which is nice right you know you, do you, get, you, get, you get to choose your animal um right. but then there's also a whole subculture of people living out in the woods who are completely against this idea of having to find partners so they are dedicated to being single and only single and you cannot be with anybody else right so you've got these two dichotomies going on and it's uh the really the movie is kind of in two halves you got the first half of the movie that's truly in the hotel you got the other half out in the woods right so i've rambled about this film i do really really like this film i really want to hear what you thought about it well i i've really liked it as well and um the director yorgos lanthimos his other two films that i'm aware of the dog tooth that you mentioned and alps which was his follow-up after dog tooth 
Um, they are both equally odd. Okay. Um, and with this film, I feel like this is his most accessible that he's made yet, hmm. where it's oh, really? like a storyline that you can absolutely lock onto and say, I mean, it's a weird storyline, mm-hmm. but it's a storyline. But you can at least follow it. Yeah. yeah. Like um, Dogtooth is just very surreal and upsetting. Um, mm. <laughs> Alps is kind of, you know, the same same type thing, but this, I mean, it was his first um, English language film where the okay. majority of the film was um, in English and he's got big stars in it like Colin Farrell, Rachel Weisz and uh, John C. Riley. So that was kind of a, it's kind of a landmark for him to mm-hmm. kind of make a, mm-hmm. but the good thing is he's still holding true to the type of films he wants to make mm-hmm. where you read that description. And it's like, well, what is this film about? And it's kind of like, it's about what you bring into the film with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was, and it's, I feel like he's pretty even handed on not trying to make a lot of judgments. You know, basically this film is about relationships mm-hmm. and about how people see relationships and how society sees relationships and without making a judgment, like you, a worse director or somebody who's not quite as clever would make a film saying like, oh, it's wrong to force everybody into being married or right. to force everybody to always have to be a girlfriend, you know, a girlfriend, boyfriend. And then another person would say like, oh, the single life is really the way to be because you get to be more free. And like they he, made both sides look he, pretty ridiculous. Right. You know? And it's like, yeah. you know. I think that takes a very skillful director and a very skillful script to be able to do. And it made me <laughs> Colin Farrell. I like him. Okay. Anyway. Um, I liked it really in, mm. in Bruges is the last thing I yeah, can think of Bruges. that. I really liked him in that. Sure. And this is a totally different type of role and he just does it so well. Like <laughs> I, I can't really imagine anybody else kind of in his role because he just plays this for lack of a better term, like a schlub kind of loser yeah. dude. <laughs> but, yeah. Just- but he, unpretentious, just very unassuming and just, you know, just kind of going along with things. I have a couple minor quibbles about the film. Well, one quibble we'll talk about in a moment. Okay. Um, the, the one thing that just rubbed me a little wrong as I was watching the film is I've heard some people talk about Wes Anderson huh. a little bit with this kind of film and I see it. Okay. Some of the interesting locations and the interesting framing of shots and just the whole mix of kind of this eclectic mentality style, like the ballroom scenes, exactly. Especially that's to me a Wes Anderson style where you've got the two people up there singing a duet, and it's mm. just it's very odd. But the only part that really kind of got me a little bit is, and, and I understand this was a creative choice to have the line delivered this way, but so much of this just monotone oh, dead delivery, yeah. That was a Wes Anderson thing where after a while it just started to get to me a bit to say, okay, is this, it's, it feels like it's aping Wes Anderson. Like, let's have everybody respond in a very monotone, deadpan response to everything. Granted, if I'd never seen a Wes Anderson film, I would have loved that style of dialogue delivery in this film. Having seen all of Wes Anderson's films and you know, them being so prominent in, in film culture, it's it's hard to walk away from this film thinking, oh, you know, it just feels like it's a little bit of an aping of that that delivery of dialogue and style of dialogue. Hmm. There again, like I said, that was my and I used the quibble because quibble to me is a very small negative thing, but not a major negative thing. Yeah, that is, it's kind of I'm, I'm taken aback. It's kind of mind blowing because I'd never considered Wes Anderson in the same conversation as um, Yorgos Lanthimos. Mm-hmm. But now that you mention it. I, I, like, I can see, I can mm-hmm. see exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. and I guess Wes Anderson. I feel like it's done for comedic effect. You know, he basically yes. makes comedic. Right. You know, usually if you want to call them message movies or deep movies, mm-hmm. 
you know, I kind of like, you know, we I've bemoaned many times, oh, I don't like being beaten over the head with something, right? Yorgos Lanthimos, he makes message movies. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, he's made three films that I'm aware of. All of them are saying something. Whether or not you can really understand what they're saying is a different matter. But they're all like heavy, deep. There's a lot to kind of unravel and figure mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And with this, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what this movie, and I guess because I feel like the aim of it is so different than a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. I never really thought of it. But you're completely right. I'll give you an example of something that mm-hmm. you're right. The delivery of it was completely deadpan, mm-hmm. but it was it made it like all the much more funnier. But it was very Wes Anderson in the ballroom that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Two characters have finally, not Colin Farrell's character, but two other characters have met a match. Yes. And they're kind of celebrating the fact that they met a match. And they say, okay, the next part of this is you guys go out on a boat float or on a yacht floating in the water and you spend like a week or so as if you're on vacation. And if you can survive that, then you're free to go back, back to, the to the city, city. and you're mm-hmm. a couple. So they're kind of like saying these rules and the people in the cl- crowd are like clapping very mechanically. And the woman who's kind of the overtaker or mm-hmm. overseer of this resort says, <laughs> and if you encounter any arguments, you know, discussions or yelling things that you can't settle them on yourself, we'll solve that by giving you a child or giving you children, <laughs> children. And that will help. It always, it helps so much. Or she said, you know, yeah. that's as, but you know, that, and that's delivered, delivered in just yeah. the straightest effort. And of course, as listeners probably know, if you have children, yeah, the last thing you want to do if there's a problem is throw in children, throw children because that just makes everything yeah. worse. But like the deadpan delivery mm-hmm. of that, it was done for comedy, but like it's, but it's, it's striving something. for no, something even more. And I think like, and I like, you know, equally like Wes Anderson, but that just kind of, that encapsulates yeah. what Yorgos Lanthimos is all about is like making social commentary and he's being funny in that, but I, I can see that criticism that in a way it's kind of no, robotic. I, just, I, I really just saw it from a style standpoint. I see that. And not, not from a messaging, not from what the intent is, but more the style. It's this ambiguous time period. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, well, you yeah. don't really know. Are we in the 60s and 70s? Are we in modern day? And they're not really, he's not really interested in telling us either way. Absolutely so, not. And in his um, other films, he's yeah. the same one. Right. Yeah. And that's a very Wes Anderson thing too. There's so many Wes Anderson films you watch, you're like, I don't really know what time period I'm in and that's right. okay. Uh, the deadpan delivery, the very interesting characters, all that was very much an Anderson thing. But you're right in that every one of those dialogue scenes that I found really either interesting or funny, there was something behind it. I even think about a scene early in the film where David's checking into the hotel, getting registered, and the person registering him says, well, do you want to register as a homosexual or heterosexual? And, you know, he had to sit there and he's really thinking about it like, okay, you know, what do I want to register as, you know? And he's really thinking about it more of like a process. Like, okay, well, if once I choose this, that's kind of what the expectation everybody's going to have of where I need to get my mate. So they're going to put me into certain programs. Right. So I need to think wisely. I'm not really able to fluctuate while I'm here. It's like, and it's funny the way that dialogue happened because it was so mechanical, but yet at the same time, you know that they're trying to make a point of saying, we as a society, we try to peg somebody into one path or the other. And and that's, that's that's what's damaging. That's totally I like Wes Anderson. I'm not discounting you, Mr. Anderson. Please don't get your feelings hurt. (laughs) But that is what this guy is all about is taking that scene. And then, you know, David even says, oh, well, I'll do, you know, bisexual. He's like, nope, that's no longer an option. No longer an option. Heterosexual or homosexual. He's like, okay. Like it's making commentary on really big issues, you know, sexuality and everything, Mm -hmm. but doing so in such a odd and unique way that I don't even consider it quirky. Like, you know, a lot of people no, no, get hung no. up on quirk of Wes Anderson. No I love quirk. It. 
but it's like, no, it's this guy's style and he's getting at something, but doing it in such an original, bizarre way. I like Wes Anderson's movies, but I would never classify them as bizarre. No. And that's what this guy is. And I also all don't about. classify them as message movies. I don't feel no. like there's no, nothing no, 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 he's no. trying to get a message across no. on anything. You know, of course, uh, the big underlying message shot this film that I know the director is really trying to implore is this idea that as you're staying in this hotel, the goal is to find somebody that it becomes your mate. Mm-hmm. And you can't fake it because nope. if you fake it, you get in there's, trouble. There that's are consequences. Bad. That's bad. Serious don't fake having a, a relationship with somebody. It's got to be real. But the way that they determine people tend to find out if they're going to have a relationship with somebody is to find that one quality about them, one feature, either physical or something else that they can associate with. Mm-hmm. With some, it's that they have a limp, yep. you know, with some, it's that they're short-sighted. And again, that's the whole concept. It's like, oh, look, somebody's coming in with a limp. Maybe that's my match. I'm so excited that somebody's coming in with a limp because I have a limp also. And again, making that comment of, that's unfortunately how too many people in society are like, oh, well, I'm that way. I need to find somebody who's exactly like me, and that's how we need to be a partner. When obviously what they're trying to show is that's really a very artificial way of developing relationships off of those more physical features or things that are not as deep and not as meaningful. So it's really interesting that David the whole time is kind of excited when he meets somebody who's short-sighted like he is because that's how he sees a – uh, being a match and it plays into the ending and to some yeah. degree as well. So, yeah, I, and I, I really liked this film. I really liked, you said it was kind of two pieces. Yeah. It's the out in the forest part as single people. Mm-hmm. And then it's in the hotel yeah. trying to become a match matched person. I feel like I really responded to the first part with the hotel. I, I felt like too. that was the stronger part. Not that it fell apart when it went to the forest. It did lose a little bit though, but it, I felt like it wasn't, it started to become a little bit more looser. And then I was kind of like, okay, where is it? Going? And so much so that the ending, <laughs> I felt it kind of just, it kind well, of just I do stopped. want to talk about the ending without being spoilery here, okay. but it is one of those. And I, I, I am never one that feels like a film has to button everything up. Sure. I'm okay with ambiguous endings. I am okay with open-ended endings. This one I'm still wrestling with a little bit. It was a very open-ended ending. Mm-hmm. leaving with two characters and you're not quite sure what the next step is to be. One character's planning to take an action. That's very questionable. But yet when you look at it in the sense of the whole film, it, I guess it kind of makes sense, but we still don't really know if that action took place or not. Anyway, it was the epitome of an ambiguous open ending and I'm okay with that. I don't fault the film for it. It's just I, I, I needed maybe just a little bit more of a nugget of information to know what we're trying to get at with that ending. So I do. I mean, I've kind of had my positives and negatives. I mean, it's mostly positives. I think sure. fascinating premise. Hilarious at times. I think it had a really great sense of, of some really great dry comedy that meant something. Every line and scene meant something. Right. I love the fact that it was a great mix of some really interesting comedic dialogue Plus, I'm very not not as shocking. It sounds like or depressing as a dog tooth was, or maybe, but still had a few moments where it's just like, whoa, okay. Well, right. they just kind of went in a whole different direction now with that scene or this shot or whatever it may be. John C. Riley getting punished with a toaster. John C. Riley, uh, a dog, um, yeah. a biscuit woman. You know, there's like there's just some scenes and some moments where it's like. Whoa, okay. That they just kind of went in a whole another direction on some things. It can be dark. Yeah. Um, but I like that mix. I like the fact sure. that one moment there's a, a line of dialogue that's just absurd, ridiculous, hilarious. And the very next scene, you're kind of 
taken aback by a very shocking moment. Uh, I liked it. I liked all that. My my negatives were, you know, just I felt a little bit of the Wes Anderson style dialogue. Just hmm. it was a little aping in some places. It felt like anyway. And then the ending, I'm still wrestling with. The la- really the last shot. I mean, we're talking like that last long shot. Which so. full disclosure to everyone out there in podcast land, as we were getting ready to record this. I uh, pulled up the film and I was like, I, I just got to watch the edit. You know, I, not that I forgot, but I just wanted to make sure I remembered exactly what the that ending, there was anything you missed in this that shot. the ending was to yeah. the lobster. Without spoiling anything, um, after watching the ending again, I, there's no way I work with that. It was definitely, and you would probably agree, it was very intentional, mm-hmm. and I think that's because the director wanted to say, okay. What you know, it's it's putting the choice. Yeah, it's leaving something. It's leaving the ending, kind of you know murky. But I think it's like no, there's one or two things that happened here. What do you think? And mm-hmm. he wants to make the. And then what does yeah. whatever you think happened kind of maybe says a lot about you or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just. I don't know. Very challenging. Well, I, just I really like we like gave it. a warning on Hell Caesar to people who go to check it out, not to go in expecting a rip roaring comedy, and not to expect this fully formed storyline. I will say to people watching that go to choose the lobster, if you first us talk about it and you decide you want to watch it, which I do recommend, I yeah, think it's yeah. a really good movie. Just understand that this is the kind of movie that the ending shot would roll and then the credits would start. And normally in a room full of theater people, you're going to have groans. It's like, oh, oh yeah. God, I can't believe they what just ended just the happened, film that way. Yeah. So just people be, you know, be aware of that. You know you go in with say, that, that I think the reason mind. I respond to him and I don't, he is, I think he's Greek. I think he's, yeah, he's he from is. Greece. Um, to me, he is the successor to David Lynch. I can see that. He makes mm-hmm. movies that are kind of bizarre, that have this quirky stuff, that do have some funny things, David Lynch films. Like, and like that's why, in a way, until you'd mentioned it, I'd never really associate him with Wes Anderson. But I can see that, but it's they're just they're still stylistic. Well it's like different. Lynch I can see Lynch from more of a content standpoint. Wes Anderson from a style standpoint, style. you know, because that's really all I see with the Wes Anderson is the style, style, style of delivery, the style of the scenery, the style of the time period. And that's the Wes Anderson side of things I see. But no, it's not the content, the messages or anything like that, that I can see more of a Lynch, Lynchian feel to that as well. So I really, really like this film. I'm actually kind of anxious to see it again. Okay. And, uh, so honestly, Chris, three for three. I, I really liked all three of the films we talked about. Well, today. I tell you too, um, a pairing of Anomalisa mm-hmm. and the Lobster. I don't know that if you could walk out of that and be psychologically sane because of some <laughs> of the stuff it just makes you think about and perceptions like and kind of like the human condition. Well, it's like I could see those being saying like a psychology class or like you know sociology class. Let's watch these two films about human interactions and behavior. Yeah, and what the, the those that could be an entire well, it's course a perfect complimentary movie about relationships. Yeah. You know, and like you look at the lobster and it looks at the construct of relationship, what it means to be single or with somebody, and what does society put on us as far as these forms that we're supposed to be in when it comes to relationships with others. And then you've got Anomalisa, where someone who's knee deep in relationships has been in relationships for years of varying styles and kind of the impact it's having on them and how they relate and see other people. So it's almost like you've got the lobster talking about the constructs of relationship. Anomalisa is an exploration of one person whose relationships have started to really take a toil Mm -hmm. on him over time. So it's just, 
It's a really interesting double feature. That's for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. So let me ask you, since I was on record saying that I really loved all three movies we, we, we reviewed today, rank them for me. Which one's your, which one of the three is your favorite? If you had to watch them over again, which one would you watch again in a heartbeat? Wow. Um, probably lobsters at the top. Okay. Um, and then hail Caesar and Anomalisa. Anomalisa. I don't, even though it's a great film and I really liked it, I don't think I would really get a lot out of a second viewing. Okay. Sure. Um, because it is kind of very straightforward, yeah. except for two instances that you mentioned that are kind of like dream sequences. Mm-hmm. But it was good and definitely very original. People should yeah. see it. Hail Caesar, I want to dig into more of like, kind of like the artifice of how they did mm-hmm. scenes. You know, so, but definitely up at the top, Lobster, yeah. You know, I said it's a good measure if I finish watching and immediately want to watch the whole thing. I immediately want to watch that whole thing again. Yeah. And it was like two hours or so running time. To me, didn't feel you know, that long at all. Like sure. it just was engaging. And I guess, cause you're trying to figure out, okay, what's going on. You know? Well, and um, yeah, I, I'm a little mixed. I mean, all three, I love the films. I, I, I'm an Anomalisa first. Okay. The lobster second, Hell Caesar third. Okay. But again, that's three really good films that Absolutely. are all three very enjoyable films. What about the score of the lobster two, which was a very staccato sharp moment, kind of sometimes would just jump out of nowhere score wise. And I thought really were, were fun kept you on your toes a little bit. I don't know. It just, it worked for me as well. And then John C. Riley, which is <laughs> an odd choice to have in this movie. Cause he didn't seem to fit anywhere at all, but yet no. that's also something I think they played with oh, yeah. is the idea that he is very much a American where nobody else really seemed to be American. Right. He had a little bit more of the a doofus quality to him where <laughs> he did. nobody else really did. It was just, it was an interesting choice to have him in this film, but it added something to it that I think was needed. So I, I would agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. John C. Riley. He's just, I like him anytime he's on screen and this was absolutely no exception. <laughs> so three very interesting, different, but very good films that we had to review today. Hell Caesar, Anomalisa and the lobster. And, uh, I know Anomalisa should be coming out on uh, video on demand or online pretty soon. Hell Caesar was still in the movie theaters when we recorded this. The Lobster, probably not making a whole lot of rounds in different movie theaters. It may be a little while before you can see it online, but we do recommend checking it out when you do. All right, we're going to take a really quick break. We come back, we're going to do some quick Oscar recap of the Oscar ceremony from just last week, as well as give our recommendation of the episode for something we think you ought to check out online or some other uh, available format. So you're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll be right back. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.TV. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Before we get back into our show, just a quick reminder that you are listening to this show on TheMesh.TV. That is an actual network, kind of like your ABC or NBC, but it's all online and it's all on demand, which is what's so great about it. All of the shows we have on the Mesh Network, you can go and listen to it anytime you want to. You can go to TheMesh.TV, which is our website, and you can find all the programs and shows available through the network Listen to any episode, whether it's the most recent one or one from years ago, on demand. You can download it, play it in your browser, whatever's more comfortable and convenient for you. 
The great thing about all the shows on the Mesh Network is that you can subscribe to any of them. On all the show pages, you will see a link taking you to Apple iTunes, or if you need to look, listen to it on Stitcher Radio, or if you have an, your own podcast software you use, you can use any of those tools to sub- find our show and subscribe to it. And what that means is every time we put out a new episode, it will get pushed automatically to your device, whatever your device you use to listen to podcasts. And I will say, Chris, I just found out the other day that the latest version of the Apple TV, which uh, you know maybe many of our listeners have gotten for Christmas or in recent months, has a new podcast app on the homepage of the Apple TV. So there again, you can subscribe to our show through your TV set. Gotcha. If you're one of those people, you'd rather have it playing on your TV in the background and listen to us, you can certainly do that. I will say what's really fun is we have a show on the Mesh Network that is a video show. Uh, it's called Anglers and Appetites. If you're at all interested in fishing and or gourmet cooking, it's kind of an odd mix of a show. Uh-huh. They go and uh, do some fishing in some really unique creative areas, and then they talk about how they fix it for a more high gourmet food uh, uh, serving. And it's a nice uh, dichotomy of a show, but it's video-based. So you can watch that podcast on your Apple TV or other TV device where you can see podcasts. And you've got your on-demand TV show right there waiting for you. So TheMesh.TV, please check it out. We'd love to hear some thoughts from you on the network and our show in general. So, Chris, back to Foot Candle Films. And we did our reviews of the first half of Hell Caesar, Anomalisa, and The Lobster. All three getting high marks from us. Yes. And uh, ones we wholeheartedly recommend everybody check out. So let's turn our attention to the Oscars. You know, at the last episode we recorded, we did our Oscar predictions. Sure. Uh, I'll go ahead and spoil it right now. You and I, we didn't do too hot in our picks, okay? (laughs) But I'm actually kind of happy that I did as poorly as I did. Well, that means there was a few that we expected to win, but we actually were going to be happy if they didn't win. That didn't. So I don't want to go through all of them. You know, everybody can go online and see the results of of the Oscars if you did not see them yourself. Or see the ceremony yourself. But I did want to hit a few that I thought were some interesting outcomes and get your thoughts on it as well. Let's just start with the big one up front. Spotlight won Best Picture. Yay. Now, if you had asked, told me that three months ago, I would have said, yeah, it sounds about right. Spotlight was getting all the buzz. It seemed to be the critical darling. That seemed to be the one everybody thought was going to win. And then came along a little film called The Revenant with yes. Mr. DiCaprio that seemed to just take all the oxygen out of the room. And it seemed like I honestly thought going into this that The Revenant was going to clean sweep best director, best film, and best actor. Right. But instead, it did get best actor. It did get best director. I'm sorry, Chris. I know. But at least you can take solace in knowing that your 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 nemesis in the directing world did not get best picture this year, right. and it went to Spotlight. How do you? I know you're happy about that, but I am. Yeah. I mean, I just you know happy about it and. Um, the only thing that could have been better is actually if Revenant would have gotten movie and director would have gone to like the spotlight guy, because that way I wouldn't have had to see an R2 like talk. It would have just been like the producers of the film. You're just, um, I know it's brutal, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I am very, it was one of the ones only if you remember from our episode, I picked the Revenant, but I said, you know, I'd really like for spotlight. to. Well, I think it's the better film and it kind of, you know, when you say best Picture, not best actor, not best director, but best picture. To me, there was just really no question in my mind which one I thought was better, The Revenant or Spotlight. It was like absolutely Spotlight. I'm perfectly fine with the way the awards fell out because I will say on record, I do think from a director's position, The Revenant was quite a feat. Okay. I will give it that from a directing standpoint. But I'm glad it didn't win best picture because to me, best picture is takes all of the elements combined. 
Sure. And where I do think The Revenant had a really good starting turn for DiCaprio it and was well-directed. I don't think as a total picture it was the most impressive. Spotlight was the most impressive from a total picture, but it wasn't the most impressive from a directing standpoint. So, again, mm-hmm. I was perfectly happy with it getting best picture and not best director. Um, to me, Spotlight is an ensemble film. It is a talky film. It is. It is a, a, a historical document film. It works on all those fronts, and it's really, really, really well made. It's just – it's not a directorial style film. No, um, it's kind of – and I think that was what pleased me with it is it just kind of – it doesn't try to dress it up, doesn't try to make it fancy. It just lets the story tell itself. Yeah. But you're right. I guess if you're going to say like directing-wise, it was nothing special. He did right. a good job, but it was a very like – you know, mechanized approach right. as far as, you know, so I don't know. I, I like both, um, both films. I like them. Okay. But yeah, I, I guess you're right. Director should have gone to an R two, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now I will say, um, when we look at the, uh, the acting awards, mm-hmm. you know, DiCaprio for best actor. And I, I will say, you know, he, he did a really good, I think we were both he was the reason why I liked the film at yeah. all, because I thought his performance, he did a good job, you know, moaning and suffering. So <laughs> yeah, Brie Larson for Best Actress, we kind of all picked that as well, and I think mm-hmm. well-deserved. I think uh, that was not really a surprise for anybody. Um, Alicia Vikander for Best Actress, Supporting Actress. Um, a little bit of a surprise for me. I have seen The Danish Girls since uh, our last recording and before the Oscar ceremony. See, I still haven't seen it. I so. still would have given it to Jennifer Jason Lee, even okay. though I did not care for The Hateful Eight as a movie. Her performance was really, really good in it. The candor was fine in The Danish Girl. I just didn't see a whole lot that really just jumped up and just really made it a best uh, award-winning performance. But, well, something that but was, it, was, it was solid. It was Something good. that was really surprising to me is, okay, I haven't seen Disclosure. I haven't seen either Carol or Danish Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have seen them both. Yes. Um, but because of like where they are in the cinematic world as far as like art house movies with – you know, kind of talking about time periods and people's struggles. And it's like, I felt like they would do the whole canceling each other out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's why I kind of thought Jennifer Jason Lee, plus there was the buzz that said that she would probably yeah. win body of work. And she gave a really sp- good supporting term because the other two ladies in the category, Rachel McAdams and spotlight, she was okay. Yeah. But I, I just, Rachel yeah. McAdams never, to me, had much of a shot. The candor was fine, and she probably would have been my second choice out of the five, I guess. Really? Okay. I thought she was better than Rooney Mara was. Rooney Mara's good in Carol, but the candor was a little better. I just thought Jennifer Jason Lee kind of had the more showy role and got to step outside of her normal sure. bounds a little bit more. The candor, I, I could pretty much tell you, other than the accent, uh, possibly, that's probably the way she really, like, that's her nature, her, hmm. her personality is okay. the character she played. So I always admire it more when somebody steps outside of their comfort zone sure. more and more. But I will say, actor supporting role, I was very happy with Mark Rylance winning, although it did cost me a vote on my Oscar ballot because <laughs> I had Sylvester Stallone thinking he was pretty much going to win. I was really surprised. I think a lot of people were when Mark Rylance got it. But I was very happy because he was my personal pick. I think his performance was outstanding. Okay, and I, same exact boat with you. I had heard all the buzz and so the nostalgia vote. And actually, you know, Oscars, maybe, okay, they've got the whole – you know, diversity thing. They need mm. to work on that, obviously, with, you know, having African-Americans in film. But I will say, I think they are steering away from being overly nostalgic and giving people awards for just their body. Like, you know, Sylvester Stallone mm. would have been a perfect thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, yeah. Hollywood likes their own. And they did it like, 
that would have been the typical thing to do. And I was very surprised that um, they didn't go that route. So good for them for not being predictable. And I will say, when I will, as if you go back and listen to our review, which, as you mentioned, we've got that stockpiled on the mesh.tv. You can go back and listen to that review where we reviewed mm-hmm. Bridge of Spies. Mark Rylance, like, made that movie. Oh, yeah. He was the best thing about Bridge of Spies. He was just so good. I wish he could have been in the movie more. And yeah, so, like, sure. I could not be happier that he won- was surprised, but couldn't be happier. It that was he a great surprise. Actual. It was very nice. Uh, just a few other m- minor points. I mean, really, animated film, Inside Out, no surprise. Yeah. I would have liked An- Anomalisa, especially now that I've seen it since then. Um, but Inside Out makes sense, I guess. I will go back and say, just on one more note on that supporting actor, Mark Rylance. He's still my choice. He's still the guy I wanted to win it. I will say, I've seen Creed since okay. then. Creed's a really good movie. And Sylvester Stallone played a much better part than I expected him to. <laughs> so I would not have been mad if he had won the Best Supporting Actor. But I'm very happy Mark Rylance did. Sure. Okay. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road didn't win any of the big awards, Mm-mm. but it did win a lot of awards. I think I don't think anybody when this when this film was being it was in early production would have said this film is going to win what six or seven Oscars. Right. <laughs> okay. But it won both of the sound awards. It won production. It won makeup and hairstyling. It won editing. And it won costume design. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could say it's not the big category ones. And it was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director Best and didn't win those. And a lot of people were really sad because George Miller, he's been around a while. Yeah. and Directing, I would have been really happy if George Miller had won. I, I wouldn't have given Mad Max the Best Picture. I still think Spotlight probably had that overall just total but you best could maybe see it. directing because it was such a yeah. feat to put together but i am just yeah. happy to know that mad max can walk away saying we won one two three four five six oscars on oscar night that's pretty impressive quick you side know. note the yeah. other reason why my oscar ballot really tanked this year is because stupid me sentimental me I picked Star Wars for yeah. sound editing and sound order. And of course, Mad Max won that. If I'd have been thinking clearly. Yeah. But I want. Your just head was so, in the clouds. It, it was. was in nostalgia. It was in, the, it was in yeah. space. You yeah. know, <laughs> I just so wanted Star Wars to walk away with something. Yeah, it didn't win. <laughs> it didn't win. It didn't win. So, but Jack. surprise, I'll go ahead and jump forward on this category. Special effects. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Ex Machina. How great was that? Because well, I never thought that had a chance. Well, especially not only that Ex Machina was a smaller film from a from a people knowing about it standpoint, but budget wise, it's such True. a smaller, low budget film. So basically, the argument is is that they went up against Bad Max, they went up against Star, Star Wars, Wars, and they beat them on visual effects with an awards. So that was pretty impressive. So, and it's something where you know you could say Mad Max and Star Wars action movies—they're all about the effects and all about like the Ex Machina, yeah, it was an android, but it was like that wasn't the main point of the movie. It wasn't mm-hmm. the flash of the movie. Yeah. It was just, you know, but it so, so well done. And I will just say, I thought Alicia Vikander was much better in Ex Machina than she was in The Danish Girl. Hmm. But if it means that she's going to get some greater roles because of winning the Oscar, then I'm fine with her getting the award for the one she did. Okay. Really, I mean, nothing else really surprising. On the writing, I'm always fascinated by the writing awards. I kind of. Felt like this is might be the way it goes with Spotlight winning Best Original Screenplay and The Big Short Best Adapted. I thought both very warranted and that made good justification sense to me. Um, so overall, you know, good stuff. Uh, um, uh, the Hateful Eight won for Best Original Score, which was something I was really championing for and I thought was good. I was happy about that. Um, 
little surprised the uh, song from Spectre won Best Original Song. Not one of the best James Bond songs we've ever had. Um, Not only that. The Lady Gaga mo- uh, song was getting so much heat building up to the award ceremony and then walk away well, with no, nothing. Yeah, so. I just never – like, yeah, I saw – we saw Spectre. We reviewed it here on the show. I think maybe, – or maybe you just talked about it. I talked said, about right. it, yeah. Um, but I saw it and, yeah, it just – I mean, granted, it's coming on the, the wings of Adele's Skyfall, yeah. so it's kind of hard to follow that up, but just, you know. Mm, just didn't work. Just nothing. And then, yeah, that song, the Lady Gaga's performance and everything, I think if, <laughs> there again, never happens, but if you had the Oscar voters vote after they actually saw yeah. those performances, True. it's kind of like, you know, and actually because of the weight of that performance, I was like, uh, and I had voted for the 50 shades of gray song just cause I figured yeah. it was all over the radio and that's the one popular wise. That's mm-hmm. the one that would win. But after I saw that, I'm like, well, clearly, <laughs> clearly yeah. that song, even though nobody's heard of it, clearly that's the one that's going to win. If Oscar voters could have revoted, I think they all would have been like, uh, yeah, clearly Probably that so. song. And plus, I mean, and I'm, I'm not here to critique the ceremony itself. Overall, I, I could give her, I could give or take the actual style of the ceremony. Sure, I'd be perfectly happy if the whole ceremony was twenty minutes and just rattle through all the awards and let them come up and get their awards and you're done. I'd be perfectly happy with that. Right. This whole four hour spectacle is a little much. It's ridiculous. But even the performance of the song from Spectre, I thought was horrible that it night. Was. It was it was really too. bad, like yeah. production wise. And the the Lady Gaga one was very theatrical and big, right. big visual effects to it and all that. And I'm also frustrated the fact that there's five nominees, but they only let three of them play. Well, right. So then, Supposedly there was a little bit of a news item a couple of weeks ago where the two other nominees were basically told, yeah, we're not going to have you come play. Really? So it's like the three bigger names get to come and, and perform their songs. The other two that nobody knows don't get to perform. Now, granted, that doesn't affect voting because the voting's already done been, by the time of the ceremony. Done, but right? still, I think it just sucks. You know, if you're going to do that, really makes you want one of those that didn't get yeah. to come win. But you know, there's no way they would there's do no that because, well, see, I, I was disappointed that too. That I kind of felt like I felt gypped for them that they yeah. didn't get to perform. The other thing that kind of irked me was if you remember, it was la- I think maybe last year. I think this is when this happened. But the Selma song won as opposed to. Um, everything is awesome from the yeah, Lego movie. Right, sure. And the Selma song was a good song, but I felt like it was all kind of what we associate with Oscar. Typically, it was that emotion. It was mm-hmm. like not necessarily nostalgia, but we're going to pick an important song. Right, the to importance. Win. That's it. Whereas, like, if you think about a song that was integral to the movie, that was such a big part. It's like everything is awesome. Sure. There's no way that wasn't like at the core of that movie. Sure. Whereas, I think the Selma song played in the credits. Or something like at the end of the movie. Uh, at the end of the film, I think, yeah. So to me, like, and it, so that's why when it was this time, I was like, yeah, there's no way the Gaga song's not winning because that's about something. <laughs> yeah. Whereas this is just another toss away James Bond song. So yeah, and it's like but, one of the weaker ones in recent years. Yeah, so, I just, yeah. I was really, I think a lot of people, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I was following you know, several people talking about it on Twitter and they were, they were kind of shocked as well. Yeah, that was really <laughs> so, surprising to me. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, man, I just, I just want an Oscar ceremony. You know how I'm a big college basketball fan. When they yes. announce the NCAA tournament brackets, they do it in a 30 minute show <laughs> on CBS and they rail through all the 64 teams. They show you the brackets, they show you where they are. And then they spend the last 15 minutes doing analysis. 
That's what I want for an Oscar ceremony. Give me a 30-minute, 45-minute presentation. Knock through all the awards. Let them have their opening speeches. Do the memor- uh, in, in memory of the ones who passed away. I'm sorry. That and was awesome at David Grohl. I like David Grohl anyway. A few fighters. No, it was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got it's a That's tradition. You got to do that. But skip the monologue. Skip Here's, all the funny bits. Skip all the cutaway video clips. Oh, that's just... Here's the thing. Put them up online later and let people enjoy them. Let's just have the awards. They were progressing, and I thought we were going to be done by 11 o'clock. Oh, yeah. Because they were clipping. That first hour was pretty quick pace. It was like bang, 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 bang. They were clipping they through stopped. them. And then about the time they did, they did the... 20th anniversary of Toy Story or whatever with the puppets thing. Then they did the stupid Star Wars droids, which there was no point behind that. Well, the point was because Star Wars isn't going to win Jack tonight. So we're going to yeah, this is the biggest movie in the last however many years. Uh, we need to acknowledge it. So somehow. like those two things right there, that I started going. I'm like, okay, here we yeah, go. We're back, back now we're not going to. Now we yeah. put the brakes on. But my wife made a good point because of course they cut to it. She said, no, the point of the Star Wars droids was Jacob Tremblay sitting out in the audience, like stood up and, that got, was it, cool. and got excited. No, that, was like, cool. oh. <laughs> that was cool. That was kind of fun to that see. That was neat that, that it no, made this little boy's night that he got to see the Star Wars thing. Yeah, so. But still, I just, I say get away, do away with all that. Keep yeah. the ceremony under an hour, give us all the awards and then let us spend however many hours online and on other talk shows, digesting it and sure. talking about it. I just, anyway, that's just my personal thing. Sure. Uh, and I think it would, there's still a lot of people out there that kind of roll their eyes when they hear about the Oscars because they just think it's so overdone. So, uh, anyway, I, that, I, yeah. I want to make a plea to the Oscars, but then to, you know, I guess something like Apple iTunes. I want you guys to put out packages of the animated short films, the an, the short film live action, and the short documentaries prior to the Oscars yeah. so that people can see them. Wouldn't that be great if a couple weeks before the ceremony you could actually watch them all? Because, again, those are the categories I never know how to vote And there's for. such good things. Yeah. And, like, you know, I thought that was biting commentary, but very true. Louis C.K. for the short documentary, he's like, <laughs> look – this is the award that matters tonight. None of this other stuff to because yeah. these people are taking their award home in a Honda Civic. You know, mm-hmm. it's like this, and it's so true. Like that's yeah. the stuff. Like you can gauge the future by these people that are making shorts now. Maybe they will get a documentary or a yeah. feature because of their work. And it's just so hard to see them. It's so frustrating. But I will give the Oscar ceremony credit for not regulating those awards to some off-ceremony night award ceremony like they do some of the other technical awards. True, They could do that so easily. They could. And say, well, you know what? Documentary short short subject. We're just going to do it this special other event, and Mm -hmm. we'll just recap it tonight. So the fact that these people get up on a national stage, international stage on ABC to accept an award for a film they maybe spent months out of their life working on and took all their money they could to do. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. But I do agree with you. It would be nice if we could see them and actually recognize their work instead of scrambling to figure it out after the award ceremony. And by the time that happens, sometimes we forget about them and it's a shame. Right. And I'd love to see them get more attention. So I'm with you on that. So that was the Oscars. I mean, overall I am pleased with the way the awards turned out. There were some nice surprises, ones I did not expect uh, the Academy to go with. Um, documentary, Amy. I think we both felt like that was a really good documentary. A little yeah. disappointed. Look of Silence did not get it. Uh, just because that's two in a row that the guy didn't win. Oppenheimer didn't win. Um, actually, actually, and I, my whole reasoning there, again, just trying to think you know, if there's any rationalization, which there's not. It's completely irrational. It's award season. But I was thinking 
the Simone Nina Simone documentary and the Amy documentary would cancel each other out. Your whole canceling so out philosophy is not, not working. Does not so, work. <laughs> no, don't That's use two it. Two in a row, you thought would cancel no, out. Doesn't not. work. So I'm happy Amy won. I mean, to me, Amy Look of Silence both are deserving. Either one, I would have been happy winning best documentary. I do admire the Amy documentary because they could have made that so traditional biopic documentary, but they didn't. They right. made it very creatively and interesting. So. So that's the Oscars. We'll uh, be looking forward to talking about the ones for next year. Yeah, yeah. Because the Lobster is going to be Best Picture nomination, right? Best original script, screenplay, yeah. maybe? I think technically it's a 2015 film, so I don't True. think it matters anyway. All right, Chris. Well, we're at the end of the show. This is where we like to talk about a film that we caught up with or are just reminded of that you should be able to see online. And mine's got a little bit of a caveat in that mine – is available online, although you can't rent it for another week or two, and I'll explain it in a moment because hmm. okay. um, it's a fairly new recent film okay. that we've already discussed uh, earlier in the show. But with that, let me turn it over to you, Chris. What do you recommend as far as a film that you think people ought to check out or be reminded of online? Uh, it's a film that I really wasn't aware of. Mm-hmm. I happened to see it pop up on Netflix, and I checked it out, and I really liked it. Um, it's called The Experimenter. Hmm. And it stars uh, Peter Sarsgaard as the main the main guy in the movie. He plays the scientist, or I guess psychologist. Sorry, he's not a scientist. But uh, it's based around the story of Stanley Milgram. And he's the guy, he was in 1961, famed social psychologist Stanley Milgram conducted a series of radical behavior experiments that tested ordinary humans' willingness to obey authority. So this, that's, thank you, IMDb again. This was the guy that set up experiments where People were supposed to give shocks to somebody in a different room, mm-hmm. and they would oh, right, progressively right, right. go up in intensity yeah. of shock, and regardless of the other person in the room or in the other room being shocked, yelling at them to stop or whatever. And it was all this, you know, experiment about mm-hmm. authority mm-hmm. and about what that, you know, why people would go on doing things if they knew somebody was being hurt, or you know, it's very interesting documentary. So that in itself, just an exploration of that whole experiment was interesting. But the form of the film was also interesting in that they did all these really random, bizarre things. For example, mm-hmm. the guy who's playing Stanley Milgram, uh, Peter Sarsgaard, he addresses the camera at random times throughout the movie, like direct on, like he's talking mm-hmm. right to mm-hmm. the camera. And it would just like sometimes in the middle of a scene. And then the other characters are like kind of frozen or they're still mm-hmm. talking. But he didn't. Mm-hmm. So just kind of odd things like that. Or he's giving one of these random monologues at one point walking down a hallway and an elephant, for no reason, comes out behind him and starts following him down the hallway. Just like hmm. these random, bizarre... But you think about it, and the whole film is about psychology yeah. and seeing things as being artifice or not being real or what it says about the human psyche. Just, it's fascinating. Um, so that's definitely going to be my pick. Uh, it's The Experimenter, or and, just Experimenter. And it's Peter Sarsgaard's the play Stanley Milgram. And where might I see this from? Uh, it's definitely it's on Netflix. It I think is on it, Netflix. It is on Netflix. It may also be in iTunes. I'm not hmm. quite sure about that. But uh, oh, and then <laughs> Winona Ryder. She plays Milgram's wife. So it's kind of nice to see Winona Ryder acting oh, again. That's good. Yeah. And um, it has it has some pretty random. The cool thing is some of the people that get brought in to be the test subjects are kind of you know just random cameos that are kind of interesting. There's yeah. Anthony Edwards. There's John Leguizamo. Mm-hmm. Like some big names that kind of come in. And they're only in there for like you know a minute or two minutes. Um, and Jim Gaffigan. 
oh, wow. uh, plays is in the movie and plays kind of a significant role and is just weird to see him in like a serious movie. Yeah, <laughs> so, no kidding. I mean, he's and he's really he's really good. So, so you think it's on Netflix? It's definitely on Netflix called The Experimenter, or maybe it's just Experimenter. I don't actually see them using the the. So hmm. just Experimenter. Okay, well, I'm I'm on board. That sounds. Awesome. Yeah, it's good. Experimenter. Yep, here it is. Okay, cool. Awesome. I am adding it to my Netflix queue right now. Boom, <laughs> added. Um, okay, so my film, we, we mentioned it earlier already. And, you know, because it's an Oscar-nominated film, I have a hard time saying it's like a, a gem you need to go seek out. But I got a feeling a lot of people aren't going to get a chance to see this film otherwise. It is the film Carol by okay. Todd, Todd Haynes. I know we, we haven't reviewed it, and, and it's kind of the time slipping, so we may not be reviewing it on the show. So I figured I'd go ahead and try to throw it in as a recommendation. But you're telling me, I've heard of the film. I did, I'm one of those people that did miss it. You're saying definitely I think you should check it out. Okay. Um, I'm not a huge Todd Haynes fan. Okay. You know, I, 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 I just, his, uh, his Dylan film, I'm Not Here, just didn't work for me. Okay. Um, and really, I, I mean, I'm drawing a blank on me of his previous films. I know he's done several. And when I heard about this film, and I knew it was also in contention with the Danish girls floating out there, both had to do with kind of sexual relations, kind of un, unapproved sexual uh, relations at the time that these films took place. I thought, okay, so it's just another film I just didn't really have any interest in seeing, not because of the subject matter, just it seemed like it was already kind of being done to death mm-hmm. out there. But what we have in Carol, Todd Haynes' is Carol, we have um, uh, Kate Blanchett starring as Carol and Rooney Mara as Therese. And it's a real simple story. It's basically uh, Therese or, or Rooney Mara is an aspiring photographer. She meets an older woman named Carol, um, someone who has had relationships with other women before. They have a relationship. And what's the most interesting thing about this film is it's well acted. It's well directed. It's beautiful to watch. It's shot on, I think, 16 millimeter film. So it's got this real grainy quality to it as well. Okay. Um, but it's a very classically done film. Hmm. Okay. In that the music the the style of photo- of cinematography, the costuming, and all that—it's just very, very elegant and very of its time, and and really just works as a as a complete picture. The acting really solid, as you would expect with Kate Blanchett. She's really good. Rooney Mara is good as well, and uh, I just you know I was just really drawn into the story and the characters. I mean, they played Carol as uh, Carol was a much is a much more interesting character than maybe the synopsis would give you <laughs> of her just being this older kind of aristocrat woman who actually has relationships with women. There's a lot more going on under the surface, and you kind of chip away at that a little bit. Um, <laughs> we've got also as her husband Kyle Chandler, who I really like. She play he plays uh, Carol's husband. So she's married. Okay. Oh yeah, she's married. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the film is really about society's views of this relationship, and you can just see constantly how she's having to but up against the societal norms, whether it's her husband, whether it's other people in the community. Hmm. And it's just a, it's a very much a movie of the time. Okay. And to me, it was a great exploration of what the views of what they considered to be outside the norm sexual relationships were of the time. And it, for a Todd Haynes film, it's a very straightforward film too. I mean, okay. there's nothing weird about the film as far as the way it's put together. There's no really uh bizarre ways to approach the, the the subject is pretty straightforward, but it really, really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say too, to me, very satisfying ending. You know, I'm, I'm a big ending guy. You either got to make it very open-ended and ambiguous like a lobster, <laughs> or you've got to give me something really satisfying and work it together. Don't give me something that's weak. Okay. Like I did feel like, um, hell Caesar. I agree with you is a little bit of a weaker ending. Sure. 
this movie had an ending moment and shot that just like, yep, that's exactly what I wanted out of the ending of the movie. That's it. So okay. uh, I will say Carol, I think it's worth checking out. I think it's a really good movie. Um, and it's one that started to get a little kind of backlash, I think. Critics, especially when it wasn't nominated for as many things. I think people started to turn on it a little bit. Hmm. Uh, I, I just think it's a really good movie. So okay. I, liked it a, I liked it a lot better than I expected to, that's for sure. Cool. Okay. So we've got two movies to check out. Carol, I know as the time of recording, you can buy online through iTunes and Amazon and all. But it'll be available for rent, I think, by like mid-March. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, it'll be available to rent. The Experimenter is on uh, Netflix right now. So if you got Netflix, you can go watch it right now. For free, basically, or your $9 a month, whatever it may be. <laughs> so we've talked about a lot of good films here during the show. Hell Caesar, Anomalisa, The Lobster, all going to be out in some varying degrees of availability over the coming months. We've got The Experimenter and Carol as our recommendations. And then we did a little recapping of the Oscar ceremony, which was some nice surprises. Sure. Overall, this is a very happy, positive episode we <laughs> recorded, is. Chris. I know. We're not mad at any of the films. We're not mad at anything that happened in the Oscars. We're not mad about a recommend. I mean, it's just everything's happy. Everything's great. Everything is awesome. (laughs) Sorry, I had to just dig in. A little pain from last year. Sorry about that. All right, so this has been Foot Candle Films with Alan and Chris. As, again, a reminder, you can check us out on TheMesh.TV to find out uh, what we've said in older episodes. You want to go back and kind of uh, maybe maybe you saw a film that we reviewed a long time ago and you've just recently seen the film. You want to go back and hear us talk about it. That's the great way to do it. Go do a search. Find us talking about this film. Play that part of the episode. Boom. That's that's what On Demand can do for you. Chris, if somebody wanted to reach out to us or communicate with us in any way, what would you recommend they, they attempt to do? You can always drop us an email at info at the mesh TV and just let us know of an upcoming film you want us to review or give us some comments about how we got one of our reviews wrong. You can also follow us on Letterboxd, and that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, so without that last E. And Alan and I both uh, tell, kind of keep a diary on there and tell what movies we're watching and sometimes write short little reviews. So that's, you know, one of two ways you can keep up. Also, uh, if you do use that Monster Juggernaut app called iTunes, you can always... A, subscribe to us, but then also give us a star rating on there. Let us know how we're doing as a show. It helps other listeners find our podcast if they're interested in listening to two guys talk about film. Um, Last but not least, we, as Foot Candle Films, are also putting on a film festival again this year. We're doing it again? We've decided we're up for some more punishment. Yes, it's the sequel. That's right. Uh, It'll be in (laughs) September, September 23rd through the 25th, 2016. So if you're interested, go to our website, footcandle.org. There you can learn about the Film Society that helps drive this podcast. But also there's a button on there that you can learn more about the film festival. And you can also find ways to submit a film if you are a filmmaker and would like for your film to be shown. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to a good weekend in September. We had a great first year. So this is the, the intimidating sequel. That's right. I mean, we're a little nervous. You know, because you know, you set a high standard for a really great quality event, and you got to kind of match it. And uh, we know exactly how all of you, uh, let's see, the Francis Ford Coppola felt after The Godfather. <laughs> That's right. We know how um, Richard Donner felt after Superman One, the motion picture having to do Superman Two. We know how whoever the director of Breakin was when they had to do Breakin Two, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. It's a lot of pressure, <laughs> and we totally are feeling that pressure right now. So we hope everybody will at least uh, check it out the festival when we uh, start selling tickets this summer and when we start getting people in in September, and maybe make plans to come visit us in Hickory that weekend. We'd love to love to have you here. 
So we're for all of that. We're going to wrap it up. We're, uh, thanks so much for letting us come into your audio player, computer, whatever it is you're listening uh, to this. And we hope to hear from you soon. Until next time, uh, this has been Foot Candle Films. I'm Alan saying goodbye. And Chris saying, see you in the ticket line. See you later. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.